Hello, and welcome back to the Drunk Poet Society podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Felice. And if you guys got your book of the month based on our intro podcast, it is Reincarnation Blues by Michael Poor. And as always, we will have a corresponding beverage. And what we have chosen for this particular book is Great White Beer, which is (laughs) a product of Lost Coast Brewery from Eureka, California. I was able to pick it up at my local BevMo. I don't know if that's because we're in California or if it's just a BevMo regular. But you, if you have read the book, you will understand the reference for Great White. I don't know. What do you think, Taylor? Uh, I would say I like this beer a lot. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, like, I don't like a beer that punches me back, you know, mm-hmm. type of person. Uh, so I think this one would be perfect for a hot summer's day uh, or while enjoying a good read. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It, it, it's very smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, they consider it apparently a, an American-style Belgian, but I can tell you I do not like Belgian beers, and I'm into it. So definitely pick up a six-pack for yourself. Yes. Get more your local grocery store. Yes. Um, so I think it's uh, also funny because this beer was definitely chosen based on the label, and <laughs> like we had mentioned earlier, Reincarnation Blues was definitely chosen based on the cover. So very superficial start. <laughs> and there is a big old shark on both of them. Exactly. So a nice little pairing. Um, so we, well, I don't know about you, but I first picked up the book. Literally, I was in Barnes and Noble and uh, saw the cover and fell in love with it. That was probably mid last year. Uh, and then read it by the end of 2017. Did you, when did you read the book? I read it, actually, I am in a actual meet-up book club, and based on your recommendation, one of my friends decided to choose it for that book club, and I was thrilled because I wanted to read it anyway, and sometimes when you're in a book club and other people get to pick books, it can feel cumbersome. I suppose if you are disinterested in what you're reading, but I found I was generally pretty engaged most of the time. Um, for those of you who are just getting started or who maybe haven't picked it up yet, we will let you know before we <laughs> reveal any spoilers. Yes, we'll definitely have a spoiler alert. Um, but basically what intrigued me about the book more than just the aesthetic of it uh, was the whole, I mean, I'm always interested in reading about like reincarnation and different takes on the afterlife in general and maybe not it being such a morbid take on it, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. It's essentially a book about death, but it's uh, quite light in terms of how they handle it in certain instances. And I, uh, yeah, I just, that's something that drew me to it and just, you know, even kind of reading off the back cover and looking at it, talking about how um, this interpretation basically is uh, people get 10,000 lives to reach their perfection or their nirvana or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the lead character keeps messing up. And I was just like, that, that sounds like a cute concept. Or not cute, but you know what I mean? I also kind of liked the idea, whenever it seems like you're talking about reincarnation, the characters seem to stay regionally in, you know, between like Japan and India and those parts of the world. And It intrigued me that Milo, our main character, is, when we first meet him, he's in Florida? Yeah. Right? He's he's in the ocean in Florida. So we're like, oh, okay, all right, so this is open to the entire planet. 
This yeah. is not just going to be like located in typical areas of maybe like, oh, you're reading Siddhartha and you're going mm-hmm. to learn about the Buddha and such. Totally. And another thing that I really like to even just philosophize about, I guess, is the whole concept of time. So with this, he can come back, you know, in, you know, BC, and then he can come back uh, modern day, he can come back in the future. And it, it throughout the book, he's jumping time periods. And uh, there's, you know, the whole multiverse kind of philosophy out there that really intrigues me as well. So there's a lot of concepts like running around in this book. I was like, the way he handled it, um, I really enjoyed. And I thought it was very coherent and understandable as you're reading it. Well, and I like that too, because it seems like with not necessarily books like this, all timelines are really linear. Mm-hmm. Occasionally you get books, maybe like Middlesex or something, where you have three different plot lines and they're all taking place at different time periods. But you kind of revisit the same places over and over. Whereas this book, you really don't know where Milo's going to be next every time he wakes up. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Oh, so this is 3,000 years in the future. This is, you know, in India, you know, 300 BC. So it's it's interesting. Definitely. Um, so how about we jump into just like a little bit of like synopsis or plot points so we can kind of start discussing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, one thing that kept me going really early on was how beautifully this book hooks its readers. Like you have, it's taking different perspectives. You've got Milo, who's mm-hmm. this captain, and you're kind of learning about him and his life. But you've also have a little bit of foreshadowing where it talks about this great white shark and it's like this is how many days before he's going to you know that he's going to eat milo you know that it's coming but you get into the shark's head like the shark doesn't care he's just eating fish he's just swimming around yeah and it was so engaging that you know i i don't necessarily employ the oh if you can't get me in 50 pages i'm not going to keep going but this one did this one totally yeah. did and um while i really enjoyed the book as a whole for sure uh i i have to say that i was it was very gripping in the beginning of the book like the first couple chapters i was like i don't want to put this down and then at points i was kind of like it's still good mm-hmm. um and then it came back for me definitely but uh yeah at the beginning of the book right off the bat with the shark. I thought that was brilliant how you're taking different perspectives and everyone's leading their own lives and trying to achieve their perfection in their own way and through their own avenues. Um, And even like, I loved how in the beginning Milo was this wise man and he thought he was doing everything so good and he was giving advice to people and he was taking them out on a boat and helping them with their problems. But then, you know, he dies and they're like, you didn't really do much with your life, man. You you went and you lived in a shack or, you know, and you went and you you drank drank a lot. We probably haven't lived 10,000 lives, so I think we, we're, we still have a few to go. I hope so. Um, I don't feel like I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked that once he does die, that is kind of when they introduce the fact that, yes, there is reincarnation, obviously that's in the title, but that he's already lived so, so, so many lives. And one part that kind of carries you through the whole story is this idea that each of his past lives he may not necessarily know that he's had a bunch but he hears those voices in his head that are like no don't do that it's Mm -hmm. almost it's almost like a conscience like your conscience is just your past life trying to be like don't do this again yeah like you've done this (laughs) you've done this so many times Uh um you do come to find once you get to this afterlife essentially 
which is very similar to the real life, except you've earned your particular home or, you know, however much beer is in your fridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, you find out that he is very much in love with death herself. Yeah, and I thought that was such an incredible interpretation. The fact that, one, there's multiple deaths. Um, there's multiple deaths. <laughs> and so, uh, and he personified, Michael Poor personified this death as, uh, sorry, Susie? Susie. Susie. Yeah, I almost said Sally. Susie. And this female death who is also having an internal struggle as well. So it's like, you're not only, we're not only looking at Milo's lives, but every time he dies and you revisit Susie, you're learning more and more about her character development as well. Um, in how she doesn't want to be deaf, you know? Yeah. So I still, I mean, I realize that this book is about Milo, but it seems like it should maybe be a little bit more about Susie. I only found it kind of problematic that you see Susie, um, as kind of Milo sees Susie. So it's not, I wouldn't go as far as saying like Susie's a, you know, the manic pixie dream girl trope or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. But Milo, I think in his head, she exists to like be there for him. Like, oh, well, Susie's always there every time I wake yeah. up. Or she's only there every time I wake up, yeah. you know? So like, what else does she do? He doesn't, I don't think he actually thinks a lot about, besides, you know, once she decides she wants to do this candle thing and not be deaf anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he actually like thinks about what she's doing. I don't think he does, but I did like how Michael Poore explored, uh, there was the time she brought the whale back oh to life. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I thought that was a great moment for her uh, in the sense that you're really seeing something like she's trying to do essentially a good thing and it's not a good thing mm -hmm. uh, because she's kind of, death is kind of characterized in general as this really negative shadow and um, she doesn't want to be seen as that. But then in, in doing what she did by bringing, it was a whale, right? Yeah. Back to life. Yeah. Uh, she, she's really hurting this whale mm -hmm. and there's so much pain and it's like they had to die and then come back to life and then die again. And, um, and then even internalizing that, uh, it was just a really big moment for her and a really powerful part in the book for me. Well, she, I think, sees death, unfortunately, as like a, doing something really malevolent as opposed to as everyone kind of does yeah. more benevolent like she when that whale for instance going off was the same thing was it's a beached whale on the shore like it that whole like quote you know like putting it out of its misery thing like this was a creature that was that was in pain and you would think that knowing that this creature would come back as something else would make her more okay with releasing it and you know rather mm -hmm. than bringing it back to like like obviously she was like this is a beautiful creature you know i that's an interesting point actually her knowing what she knows about the afterlife yeah. trying to bring it back uh for yeah I, essentially is not doing it any good it's going to come back in another mm -hmm. form and you know she was keeping this poor creature alive so yeah and then it's, it's interesting, too, as you're going through Milo's life, because there are moments where he's really cognizant of, okay, I need to do this because this is going to help me reach perfection. This is going to help me yeah. reach perfection. And it's almost like a, watching like Michael Scott or something in the office where you're like, <laughs> that's not going to work. Don't do it. Stop it. What are you doing? And you're cringing as you're reading it. Like, yeah. oh, this, oh, you have no idea. This yeah. isn't going to help you, man. Yeah. Um, 
I think I'm going to put a little spoiler warning in here because I feel like as we talk more and more, uh, we're going to get deeper into the chapters. Absolutely. Um, so if you have not read this book yet and you would like to, uh, there's still lots we haven't talked about yet, but as we delve in now, I'd highly recommend reading the book. Unless you don't care, then you can listen to the spoilers. <laughs> sure. I mean, we're, we're not going to give you all of the major plot points, no. but I suppose if you would just like to listen to a book synopsis podcast, then keep on reading. Yeah. Um, but I was just looking through and kind of seeing some of my, uh, not even favorite chapters, but maybe the ones I found most intriguing because mm-hmm. some of them were very disturbing. I, um, and it, they're meant to be, you know, some of them are based far in the future, you know, when he gets sent to this planet and he's essentially in jail. Like that was a very um, hard chapter to read. A lot of social commentary. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and it's particularly interesting, especially the reason he gets sent to jail is because he's he doesn't understand. He is head over heels for this stupid girl. And he goes off in this little boat with her. And he's oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm finally going to make it. We are going to have sex. It's yeah. going to be awesome. And she accuses him of rape. Yeah. And that whole thing, I was just, I was actually just like sitting on a beach reading this book and not many people around. And I was just like, wide what? mouth. What are you, what, what is, is happening? She's such a jerk. And yeah. he's so naive. And, oh <laughs> and it's, it, it's interesting, too, because there are a lot of parallels to things like um, Black Mirror, where mm. you've got, you know, future technology and all of these these different aspects that are kind of involved in the future episodes. Oh, yeah, and I totally forgot he has, like, all those, yeah, gadgets and stuff. Yeah. This is a very futuristic school he was going to and things, yeah. So it, oh, man, it that bummed me out so much. Then, you know, he at least... Once they sent him to jail, it was really kind of redeeming that whatever type of, it wasn't necessarily telekinesis, right? Whatever kind of mind control that he found, he was able to utilize that. Yeah, so in case you forgot, he essentially, he was able um, to control his breathing or his breath or it was just, yeah, essentially some sort of um, mind control. Airlock battle. And in that sense, he went from being from the bottom of the totem pole, which he was still kind of bottom of the totem pole, but people started taking him more and more seriously, or he became uh, more and more valuable in this society. And, uh, and it was just a very interesting turn of events, uh, how he even started making the society seem better and more functioning and then all of a sudden he was able to leave and he doesn't want to leave because now he's being worshipped and now he's being you know and he's like I'm at the top of this but essentially it's kind of like he's at the top of this prison society and now he has to go back into the real world and it's kind of that whole um small like or what is it uh big fish little pond there we go that's it (laughs) it's also interesting too because I found all of the future chapters probably the most evocative but also the most disturbing because you've got yeah you have this essentially this jail like trash planet capsule thing that's just like garbage and everyone trying to just use each other as much as they possibly can then you go to again i'm glad you said spoiler alert thing because we're going like straight to the end on this (laughs) one but then you know he and he's with his family his, his mom and his two brothers and he escapes onto this other planet, this island place, or... Wait, no, 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 I'm totally mixing it up. He was banished there, right? Yes. Yes, they were banished onto the island, and it was kind of in the future, but, like, hyper-primitive mm-hmm. at the same time. And that, I think, was... That was that was a hard chapter. That was, that was a hard chapter. That was probably the longest chapter, I would say, of the book. 
I had to pace myself a little bit on that one because I mm -hmm. wanted to finish it. I'm like, I'm in my last sitting. I want to finish this book, but I had to put that one down a couple of times. It's just pretty upsetting. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of upsetting chapters. <laughs> yes. right. yeah. yes. but, but no, I totally agree with you. Um, another really interesting one uh, that I wanted to get your perspective on, because it was another one I was kind of blown away by as I was reading it, was the whole Buddha. Um, oh my gosh. Right? He thought he was nailing it. Yeah. He's like, I've got this. All right. So, no, I, I loved, uh, maybe it's just because I did read like Siddhartha a couple years ago. Uh, I loved that how humanized they made Buddha. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is this not necessarily flawed creature, but real, real human yeah. getting senile. And Milo, he, he really, really thinks that he's being so helpful. And it, it and was it, very It's one of those like, oh, honey, like you're just, yeah. and, but at the same time, I felt like I understood where he was coming from. Absolutely. But you still wanted to, like, kind of shake him and be like... That's why it's so cringy. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's like, I no, I totally get it. I know why you're doing that. But probably not going to work. Yeah. I under, but I understood um, narration style of all of... Especially of that chapter, I was really interested. And I loved all the descriptions. I loved the bit with the tiger. Mm -hmm. um, the conversations that they had with the Buddha were also really, really great. Um, so that was, that was interesting because that does kind of bring you to that quintessential reincarnation, like realm. That's yeah. what you think of when you think of reincarnation. You're yeah. thinking of Sri Lanka and India and all of those places. Yeah. So, so I'm nice. glad that was incorporated into the book. Yeah. Um, again, I liked how it was not just set in this one Absolutely. place or this one time frame, mm -hmm. but I really enjoyed uh, how flawed that interaction was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the only, or the main story in this book. You know, it was... Um, it, it definitely helped prog like progress the narrative along, and like he still see how flawed he is. And the whole time, I'm thinking, uh, honestly, is he going to reach perfection uh, the entire time? Because I'm, I think like he's always getting so close, and I wonder for how many lives. Because um, you're only seeing a handful of lives mm -hmm. unfold in this book, and he's lived like nine thousand other lives. Um, yeah, I didn't know how the book was going to end. Well, and I suppose before we talk about favorite parts or anything, we could talk about our feelings about the end. Mm. Um, I feel like I really enjoyed this book, and it's almost like this is oh, this is gonna sound ridiculous, <laughs> but it's almost like um, Deathly Hallows. Okay. Read Deathly Hallows. I get this might be an unpopular opinion, so please forgive me. <laughs> but I get to the end, and you've got the like afterward, not the afterward. Um, What's that part of the book called? Um, not the prologue? Nope, opposite of the prologue. Uh, the, that's, yep, you know what I mean. Word? Yeah, no. <laughs> About the things. author? No. Uh. Uh, but <laughs> I did not need to see where everyone was in 20 years. I did not need to read about Harry and Ginny's kids. I didn't need to read about, sorry, spoiler alert for Harry Potter guys. <laughs> I didn't need to read about any of that. And I kind of felt like that at the end of this book. And... I feel like I need to say spoiler alert again, but chapter 27 is essentially when they are on, when Susie and Milo, they're on the island and they die. I feel like I wanted it to end there. Yeah. I didn't need to know if he reached perfection. I saw all of these lives. 
And you could probably judge by the end of chapter 26 whether or not he's there. Yeah. I didn't need to know about their long life's lives together and their children and all of these things. Like, it it seemed too much like, oh, here's your book all wrapped up and tied with a bow. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I agree with that. Jumping a little bit, we were talking um, how this is kind of the first big book of yeah. Michael Poore's that has really made it to the main stage in the sense that it's gained a lot of or traction. I'm not sure how much, to be honest, but... <laughs> you know, we read it. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> they sell it at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> like, I I found it on a, you know, read this type of uh, display of books, hey, so... And it's got four out of five stars reviewed, or like 4.01 is its Goodreads score. Yeah. So you know that people who are reading it are enjoying it. That being said, um, I am curious as to whether that contributes to the fact that he had to, like, tie this all up in a pretty bow. Um, I And... This isn't like dissing an author. I haven't written a book, so I'm not one to talk. <laughs> um, I just think that you're, you're right. It is kind of that, not cliched ending, but it's trying to just wrap it all up really pretty so no one's frustrated. And I almost like when endings are a little bit frustrating where I have to come up, like it ends in a place where I'm comfortable with and then the rest you can kind of surmise yourself. Sure, and who knows if, if it hadn't done that, we might be sitting here right now complaining about the fact that it, <laughs> True. it was wrapped up. But it, it does that in movies sometimes too. Like if I see a film, I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't need to catch up with all the characters and make sure that everyone lived happily ever after. It it makes it a little too easy. So the fact that Susie was just like, I just want to be with Milo and I want this simple life and I don't want to be deaf anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. Yeah, and but <laughs> at the same time, like I appreciate him making a choice because he could have even left it more open-ended in the sense that you don't really know what happens to Susie or you do know what happens to Susie, but you don't know how long that's going to work out because we don't know how the afterlife actually works as such. Or I don't know, there it could have gone a million different ways. So uh, when a strong choice is made, it's like, I appreciate that. You know, he, he knew how he wanted this to end, but yeah. I, I definitely agree with, I just felt like it was all a bit kind of lovey-dovey at the end of this really... Uh, amazingly very uh, inventive type of narrative and then I just felt like and eh, they lived happily ever after well, this is a probably a really poor comparison but um, my husband likes all of those superhero movies right mm-hmm. and I enjoy them myself unless there's like this huge romantic storyline and then in that case it's like that's that's not why I'm watching that movie. Like, I don't care about Natalie Portman and Chris Helmsworth going and getting together. Like, that does nothing for me. I want to see Thor, like, messing stuff up. That's yeah. why I'm seeing that movie. And it seems like I liked the female characters in this book, and I loved their presence and their dimensionality and all of those kinds of things. But I think that's pretty much a word. I think that's a word. Um, <laughs> well, the love <laughs> But... The idea that probably the only reason she existed in this book was to be a love interest. Like, it's not like it, like, hurts my feminist funny bone or anything like that. Yeah. But, I don't know, it it made her feel less valuable and more contract. I get that. Maybe that's kind of my criticism, is, like, I didn't... I didn't need for him to be in love with anyone. She, she was having a character arc. Um, she was... Yeah, I liked um, the, the Mexico yeah. bit where she, you know ultimately ended up like killing all of the men in this town kind of unintentionally yeah i was very very interested in that chapter so i liked that she had her own things but 
don't know, like it, her interaction, I didn't need her interaction with Milo. I would have liked them to just kind of like be separate characters and had just as much meat maybe. I, yeah. don't, I don't know what I wanted and what I'm feeling. I feel like yeah. I'm missing something. And I almost feel like maybe it was just that ending that kind of messed up. Because I didn't mind them having this affair, you know, yeah. every time he died. But you're right. It's just like something then changed at the end. And she became less of her own character and more of her reasoning in this book was to be with Milo. That being said, the other female characters was, oh, okay. <laughs> oh you know, when he dies and he's greeted by two very different people. Um, one with a bunch of crazy cats. <laughs> um, what is it? Ma, Ma. and... Yeah. Um, now I feel like I need to look through my book. Nan in, and mother. Ah. Nan and mother. But yes. So Nan and mother uh, come with their own little quirks, such as many, many television sets. Yes. And lots of cats. And I, I mean, the way that they described the cats, it almost felt like the floor would just constantly be moving by how many felines there were. Yeah. Um, so that... the. And, you know, you had the one, you had the kind of good cop, bad cop-esque mm -hmm. quality to them where you have one really loving uh, mother or is it mama, however he calls it throughout. Uh, and then Nan, who's kind of, in my head, I just envisioned this tall, very, like, uh, gangly, big nose, kind of witchy type of person. And definitely a hard ass. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I just, when they were introduced... I don't know what I was expecting, but I definitely wasn't expecting them. And it was... Because now uh, we're getting into the actual... His perception of the afterlife. So we obviously know that in this book there's reincarnation. Then we know there's death and different personas of death because Susie wasn't the only death. Um, which... Do you know if it was like death was assigned per region? Or was that never fully... I don't know. It kind of reminded me... There was a television program a long time ago called Dead Like Me. Mm. Where each person is kind of an emissary of death. Very much like another book that you and I both like by Christopher Moore. Um, <laughs> that is called uh, Dirty Job. Yeah, So perhaps, name. you know, they're much like a dirty job. He's thinking like, oh, and there are different deaths in different neighborhoods. Except I suppose in that book they were... Yes. And so that's where it, like, that's where it kind of, um, and I don't think it needs to be explained to me because I don't think the afterlife needs to be explained to me in such a perfect way. Yeah. But it was just, I knew there was, we know from this book that there's different deaths. Susie's one of them. Don't know if it's just like, oh, she's assigned this, maybe these souls, maybe something like that. Cause she always met up with Milo. Yeah. Something like that. Anyways, you have multiple deaths, but then you have mom and man and, um, when you're thinking about the afterlife, I don't think I've ever thought of an interpretation quite like that, where, you know, you go and, uh, except for, have you seen The Good Place? I have seen The Good <laughs> so Place, So that's yes. the only other time where it's like, oh, so you get assigned, like, There's a home. Yeah. I kind of loved that bit, because I feel, and maybe this is just a childlike thing, like, when you're a kid, when you think of heaven, when you think of the afterlife, you're like, my God, I'm going to have a friggin' mansion, I'm going to eat ice cream every day. Yeah. And I liked the fact that they based your, you know, lodgings on how you lived. So it's like when he had a really crappy life, you know, he's in the shack. Yeah. You know, that smells musty. That has a gross mattress. Yeah. That he probably stoops Susie on anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when he does a little bit better his, you know, the property increases and it's a little bit nicer of a yeah. house and... 
But yeah, I thought it. I thought it was interesting too, though. And the other thing, I guess, is the afterlife doesn't have like a concept of time because it's like, how long is he actually living in these circumstances before he re-enters the world? And it kind of touched on that. I think I remember at some point where it's like he has to, by a certain point, get back to Earth. But then you know we go into the weird juggling sequence. He's like in the middle of the (laughs) desert, following this guy, and Milo's like, "How long have you have you been doing this? How long have you been out there?" And I believe. I don't even remember how long he said, but it, I think it had been years. Yeah. And perhaps, I mean, obviously time is different and those kinds of things. Uh, I found a lot of humor and heart in that chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I think that kind of coincided or happened. I know that our timeline isn't linear, but <laughs> I feel like those, that and Susie in Mexico, that whole storyline were probably happening about the same time because mm-hmm. she did not meet him when he woke up. Also, I don't believe he was by a river at that time. I'm pretty sure he was just in the desert. Mm. I don't remember that. Do you remember? But the juggling, the juggling of the babies, and the learning how to juggle in a couple yeah. days. That was a, that was another great thing that you spent a little bit of time in uh, the afterlife. I don't know what else to call it. It's not really purgatory or anything. Like, no, it kind you know? of feels like it because you're. It's it is just kind of a waiting room until yeah. you get to something else. But I thought it was just curious though, or uh, interesting how. Like I said, they get these houses, but it's purgatory. It's not like they've reached their afterlife, technically. They're going to go back to Earth. But I guess it's just, yeah, this waiting room. And the amount of luxury you get is based on... Let me just punish you a little bit because you were a jerk. Like, you only But only a little bit because it's... Just a little bit. Like, you can still get a job and you can afford your beer and you can do whatever. But, yeah, no, it's going to be a piece of crap little house. Yeah. Um, So... It is interesting, and he, it seems like if there wasn't an expiration, he probably wouldn't leave, because he does love Susie, and yeah. he likes being with her, but it kind of seems like he loves being human, and I think he even mentions that. Like, he definitely does. Why yeah. do I have to read perfection? I kind of dig being a human. I yeah. like all of these things. And like... He made some valid points in that chapter. I don't specifically remember what they were, but he was talking about, you know, him being human and the perfection and being imperfect. And, you know, kind of what we think about is, is there really a perfect human being out there? But this idea of reincarnation blues is that you do eventually reach it. It takes a long, or it can take a long time. Some people might get it early on, but some people like Milo, it might take exactly 10,000 lives to figure it all out. Did they mention for Buddha uh, how long how it many took, lives? Yeah, how many lives it took him? Because I uh, find that interesting. Like, oop, here's the master chapter. Yeah. I feel like they should have mentioned that, like, oh, Buddha did it in five. Like, yeah. let's see if anybody can beat that. <laughs> and yeah, I also liked the, the little chapters in there where it didn't go into like great detail about what Milo was doing on earth, but he, you know, was catapulted <laughs> he was, and they were very short oh, chapters, but yeah. all these little lives where he dies and it's just like, Oh, and then he got squashed. <laughs> well, he's like categorizing, like I've died this way. I did this way. It reminds me of like in Sarah Marshall where that comedian is like, I, I can name you a hundred different kinds of fish. Like, yeah. I, like I have died in all these ways. Yeah. These are the ways that are the coolest. And this is the way that's kind of the most painful. Yeah. Um, I, think I'm trying to think of my favorite part mm, that's hard because I mean I don't know because like I said with this book it was hard for me to differentiate between favorite like what was most enjoyable yeah. and what I found most interesting because there were like hard chapters to read that I really appreciated being in the book 
the, the chapter with Allie, which was the girl who accused him of rape, yeah. was just so rough to get through because it's like he's falsely accused of doing this thing and then he's shipped off and the same thing kind of, I mean, it happens to him all over the place. Oh, that that was such a rough life. Like, if you really think yeah. about, no wonder you didn't you're reach falsely, perfection in yeah, this you're life. You're falsely accused of something. Okay, first of all, you have you have abilities that are beyond a lot of people and your parent is so irritated or threatened or whatever it is that he, like, is like, nope, not going to happen. Here's this little thing that will keep you from being able to use these. You're falsely accused of raping someone. You go to this planet where you are then in turn, you know, used by so many people. And then at the moment you start getting your confidence back, they're like, oh, no, no, we need to take you back. <laughs> what? No. Yeah. He's so young. He's like a teenage boy. Yeah. It just bumped me out. So I'm, that's definitely not my favorite chapter. I really liked... I liked the juggling thing. I had fun there. I think it was a night. It was a delightful change. Yeah. It was a delightful change. It kind of reminded me, I had the same imagery as like the alchemist where he's like wandering around in the desert and kind of yeah. is learning this new And trade. I love the alchemist. And I think that's yeah. why I also appreciated the Buddha chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, just in that sense, you get a really wise person that's humanized. I mean, we kind of talked about the chapter already, but I just really enjoyed that read because it brought me into uh, it brought me into a different place and a different time, and it uh, it really humanized someone that is usually made to look perfect, you know. And while they may have been perfect in their um, like not right mind, but he he was having dementia and you know all these other problems, and so um, it just shows a bit of human there. And I kind of. I'm at an interesting thing. When I'm watching a period, like, television show or movie, I kind of like, when, especially when it's fictional, I like it when they pepper it in with actual people. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't overdo it with this book because, frankly, we didn't see that many of his lives because so many of his lives he lived before this book. But I think it would have been neat. We, we had the bit with the Buddha, and so obviously we didn't need anyone like Jesus, like that. Mm-hmm. The religious figure thing was already taken. But maybe like a political leader of, mm. you know, from some time ago or, you know, like not even not necessarily like Henry VIII or anything like that. But I like those kind of like historical nuggets. So something like that would have been cool. Yeah. But I liked the balance between present, past and future. Yes. The future thing was surprising. I'm still very happy about that. Yes. And um, again, one of my favorite parts is just the fact that they could hop around and it, was, it wasn't linear. It wasn't like we're yeah. going to start way back here and we're going to move to the future. It was, and now he came back and he's, you know. Well, and that is one thing that I find really impressive just in an author's voice when you're reading a book like this, where you're like, you know what? Uh, okay, I'm not an author, uh, but I really appreciate when authors come up with things that I never would have thought of in a million years. Like if yeah. I were writing a book like this, I feel like I would have made it boring and linear. And that's why yeah. I'm not writing books, <laughs> boys and girls. And, <laughs> and if we're going back to like favorite chapters, I honestly think like I was just flipping through it. Chapter one was so brilliantly written in terms Sharking, of the everything. writing, in terms of the writing of yeah. this book, this chapter, it was like, it was, you know, talk, it introduces Milo introduces, um, in the second sentences, it begins on the day he was eaten by a shark it's and so then peppered good. throughout the chapter, just the shark's thoughts and the shark that would eat, eat miles mm -hmm. was a few hours away. And so you're, you know, this is all coming yep. and then Milo gets eaten and then you're like, Oh, now what's going to happen. And in terms of 
how it was written, it captivated me from the first paragraph. Well, and what I really, really like about this chapter too is the way that they put the shark into, like, he is a being who probably might even reach perfection. Like, yeah. they say, the shark knew it was hungry. This required no thought. The shark lived in the moment, every moment, in a perfect equanimity of sense and peace, meditating its way through the sea without even trying. But like, you have to wonder if a creature like that while it's got like most of what you're supposed to be doing to reach quote unquote perfection uh it eats things like this it eats everything without thought so i'm like garbage everything so can can it reach perfection i know that's like a philosophical question but can a shark reach uh nirvana can a shark reach nirvana i feel like if we had like (laughs) buttons or something for every episode that that would go on our episode can a shark reach nirvana (laughs) that'll be our first (laughs) t-shirt And we'll introduce it during Shark Week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the, it ends with, you know, the shark just thinks nothing of eating Milo. Like, this was just another day. You know, half of the shark's brain knows the ocean, the other half the warmth of good food digesting in his mm-hmm. belly. But, you know, it's remembering everything. Um what, did you like that he was aware of his past lives in some of his lives and not in others? Yeah, I think that showed, uh, I think that showed a, a dimension to him where you kind of, maybe the fact that he was in touch with past lives during certain, like, present lives mm-hmm. um, showed how, I don't know, how meditative he was, how intuitive he was, how... Uh, maybe how close to perfection he was actually getting, um, in a sense, even though I know, like, again, it's like the linear thing kind of gets you, but I think it just showed uh, maybe how in touch with himself uh, as a soul as opposed to a human he was in that life. Um, I don't know. I, I liked that he couldn't just always hear them and they were always mm-hmm. this chattering box, you know. It'd also be annoying with, like, 9,000 lives. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and it's also interesting, too, that this, until you get to the chapter on the island where he kind of reconnects with who he realizes is Susie, um, that he doesn't really know anybody else who's experiencing that same kind of chatter in his head, unless I'm misremembering. But it seems mm-hmm. like he has no one... He almost doesn't have anybody to relate to this entire time. Um, and then, of course, like, once he gets back to the afterlife after his dealings with Buddha, and it's like, but wait, no, I did all of these things. He just, he still is having such a hard time understanding what perfection is. And I feel like Nan and Mom are like, this is what you need to do. <laughs> They're screaming at him. Yeah. And he's still just like, I don't know, like be good and be wise and stuff. And I I think that's where he, at the point, he's kind of like, but what if I'm just good at being human? Like, what if that's me and that's my deal? Why do I have to go into nothing? Can't I just keep being human? (laughs) You know, um, and and that, again, actually raises the question of why does there, why is there only 10,000 lives? Like, if, you know, the universe is infinite, if the afterlife is so incredible, why, why did we, like, he only get 10,000 lives? Or why does this, uh, you know, afterlife specifically allow that? It was, yeah, it, there's a lot of, and again, that's the sign of a good author, I think, is like they're giving them parameters, but very wide parameters to go in such various places and write in a nonlinear timeline and all this stuff. But I don't know, at the same time, 
<laughs> I'm kind of like this too. I feel like um, I did, did like a tiny bit of reading. I'm not going to say I did a ton of research, but I looked at Michael Poor a bit, and it seems like prior to, I don't want to say his success with this book because again, didn't do a lot of research. Yeah. Hopefully, it's very successful. Michael, I wish you the best. <laughs> yeah. But he's been published in a lot of um, what I know of as sci-fi kind of, not necessarily lit mags, but short stories. So I have a feeling this was probably a short story idea that was expanded. Mm. So maybe that accounts for anything that could be considered a filler chapter and isn't necessarily integral to plot or character development or anything like yeah. that. I liked that even though he's all of these different people, he's still Milo. I like how he was consistently referred to as Milo and in each chapter we didn't have to think of like, oh, and now he's Greg and now he's, you know, George yeah. and he was always Milo. Which is interesting. And also just personality-wise, there wasn't a ton of deviation from that. Like he wasn't always a selfish dude who like thought he was super awesome and like drank and served all the time. Mm -hmm. But he still was kind of just quintessentially human. Yeah. He was always human, even in that chapter with the Buddha, which is, it to him, in his mind, he's like, I'm so close, I'm doing so yes. well. He was still so incredibly human. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a lesson in, I don't know, to err as human, like, yeah. forgive yourself. Any closing thoughts on Reincarnation um, Blues? I feel like the rating system, I don't know if we're going to come up with something different than mm. maybe a movie rating system at some point. I'd probably go PG-13 on this one. Yeah. There's language. There's sex. There's kind of really depressing adult situations. But really, I yeah, hard to wouldn't read, yeah. go R. Mm -hmm. So there's not like there's not a ton of blood and guts. If, if that's your thing that you're trying to avoid, you're fine on this book. Yeah. It's like if you're getting like into the gory, it's like his eye gets gouged out. But it doesn't. It's so yeah. brief yeah. and so fast. But if. You know, if you're uncomfortable by sexual situations or mild language. I don't remember how mild it was. Honestly, I think PG-13 is yeah, pretty good. Um, I would like to see about developing a rating system. Yeah. Um, I say I give this book four <laughs> great white pints. Out of? Out of five great <laughs> okay. white um, to, to be To be clear, listener, I... Uh, I have only had about one, um, but yeah. I will still rate it about four <laughs> out of five. I've also had a uh, one great white beer, and I'm gonna give it ten fluid ounces out of twelve fluid oh, ounces. Um, but pretty similar, I have to admit. I say I really enjoyed the book as a whole. Um, didn't get bored. Mm -hmm. uh, while may have had some critiques or just like some whatever about the ending, uh, I would still highly recommend the book to people. Most people. Most people. There are, there are probably a few people that I know that do like reading that might get frustrated. But that being said, I say this, if, if you have your own book club and you do like mine where you get to rotate who chooses and etc., uh, this is a great choice. It will be, it has obviously a lot of really great talking points. If you have a particularly philosophical group, then this is a nice, you know, it'll, you'll have ideas that'll branch out. Um, also, for future, because this is our first podcast, we don't have any Twitter or emails at the moment. I mean, we have a Twitter account now. We do. Which is? That is DPS underscore podcast. So you can tweet at us there. Um, 
We have an email, which is drunkpoetsocietypodcast.gmail.com. And uh, please send us questions there. So if you've read the book with us and you're joining us for, you know, a fresh new podcast before, um, please, like, tweet us questions or thoughts or, um, yeah, whatever whatever you're feeling. Or maybe um, commentary so that way, like, if we've already done the podcast in the next podcast, we can say what you thought about the book. Absolutely. And we'd like to get you privy to the next several books that we'll be reading together, uh, which include Fahrenheit 451. By Mr. Ray Bradbury, one of my favorite authors, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And we will be reading Lamb by Christopher Moore. Another Christopher uh, Rhymes with Poor Moore and a very funny read. Very funny. If you're interested, I will say this about Lamb. If you are interested in a comedic approach to the first 32 years of Jesus' life, then that is the book for you. Yes, uh, and just a great author in general. Absolutely. Well, we would like to thank you for listening today. Thank you. And just remember that it's not drinking alone if you have a book. Bye. Bye.